Lord, will only a few people be saved? I love this question. I love this question, if only a few people will be saved, because this is how I approach God all too often, right? Instead of saying, Jesus, am I going to be saved? Am I where you want me to be? Lord, am I in right relationship with you? I like to stay kind of in the realm of just ideas, just a little speculation. Will only a few be saved? I don't want God all the time to just look at me. Instead, I'd like to keep it kind of safe, a little bit distant, just in the realm of theology instead of making it personal. And when our Lord Jesus was asked the question in the Gospels, we just heard, Lord, will only a few people be saved? He doesn't answer that question. He doesn't say yes, only a few, or no, many. He instead turns to the person asking it. He says, strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I tell you, will attempt to enter, but will not be strong enough. If we want to just stay where we think it's safe, where we can just kind of speculate and not even enter into any conviction about the truth, but just kind of like toy with what the truth could be, Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life, wants to encounter us again today. And maybe we're still asking that question, will many be saved or will few be saved? And we have to wonder, why do we ask that type of question? If Jesus says only a few will be saved, do we want him to say that so that we can kind of discount ourselves and say, oh, well, that sounds impossible. That's like winning the lottery. I can't do that. Or do we want Jesus to say, oh, well, many will be saved? Where we get tempted to think, oh, well, I don't have to do anything then to actually commit to him because I'm set. Many will be saved. Of course, I'm part of the many. We need to go a little bit deeper, and we need to really wonder why do we ask questions like this of God instead of just admitting we need him and answer his personal call to each and every one of us to follow him. I'm part of an online group with priests who each week share homily ideas, and I don't really participate a lot, but I steal sometimes. And this week I stole from one of the priests who shared it, but still it feels wrong that I didn't share anything myself. From a saint in the 17th century, I've never heard of this saint, St. Leonard of Port Maurice. But St. Leonard of Port Maurice had a lot to share about this passage. He said, Brothers, I want to send all you away comforted today. So if you ask me my sentiment on the number of those who are saved, here it is. Whether there are many or few that are saved, I say that whoever wants to be saved will be saved, and that no one can be damned if he does not want to be. And if it is true that few are saved, it is because there are few who live well. As for the rest, compare these two opinions. I love this. He comes up with like two scenarios. And think about which one you'd prefer to hear. The first one states that the greater number of Catholics are condemned. And he's probably just talking to a Catholic audience here, but you could apply this to the whole world. The second one, on the contrary, prevents pretends that the greater number of Catholics are saved. Imagine an angel sent by God to confirm the first opinion, coming to tell you that not only are most Catholics damned, but that all of this assembly present here, one alone will be saved. If you obey the commandments of God, if you detest the corruption of this world, if you embrace the cross of Christ Jesus in a spirit of penance, you will be that one alone who is saved. Now imagine the same angel returning to you and confirming the second opinion. 
he tells you that not only are the greater portion of Catholics saved, but that out of all this gathering, one alone will be damned, and all the others will be saved. If after that you continue your usuries, your vengeances, your criminal deeds, your impurities, then you will be that one alone who is damned. Why don't we want Jesus to get personal with us? Why would we rather stay where we think it's safe? Asking questions like, will few be saved? It's almost like we're trying to plan the punchline to a joke about the two hunters, you know, who ran into a bear in the woods. And the one realizes he just has to be not faster than the bear, but just faster than the hunter next to him. We treat salvation like that, like it's relative. Like, as long as I'm doing better than my neighbor, who I know is horrible, then I'm just fine. But God gives us what we need. And Jesus Christ, when asked, will few be saved, turns it back on that individual heart and issues a challenge to strive to enter through the narrow gate. Now that narrow gate, we don't have to make up what it is. That gate itself is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only way to the Father. He's the only way to heaven. He tells us in the Gospel of John, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The antiphon that we sang during the Alleluia before the Gospel was proclaimed reminded us of that. Jesus is it. And in a way, the narrow gate can only fit one person. Jesus Christ. And if we're conformed to Christ... If we're part of Him, then we can go through that narrow gate. It's kind of like a children's toy, right? Where you got your blocks and you got your pegs and all that. And we learned very on, we can't put that square peg through a round hole. And we can't get to heaven unless our lives are conformed to Jesus Christ. Now, the gift of salvation is a free gift. There is nothing any one of us can do to earn it. It is a completely free gift. But there is a lot we can do to lose it. See, some fall into what's called presumption. And some fall into what's called despair. And sometimes that's why we like to keep Jesus at arm's length or further instead of allowing that personal encounter with him right now. Because we're tempted against hope. Hope is the gift, the virtue, that allows us to believe and trust that Jesus Christ wants me with him now and forever. Now and forever. But there are two main sins against hope, presumption and despair. Presumption is a way of seeing our relationship with God where we take Him for granted. We, where we presume on His goodness. Where we say, oh, well, I know God loves me. I know He'll forgive me if I sin. So why don't I go sin and sin and just keep sinning? Because He'll always take me back. But our Lord gives us so many parables where that doesn't work talking about good stewardship, talking about having lighted lamps that are trimmed and prepared, talking about talents given to us that we're not supposed to bury, but actually use. God challenges us all the time not to take Him for granted. Because if we take Him for granted today, what's to say we're not going to take Him for granted tomorrow? We need to be trained not to presume on our Lord's goodness, but to value it. Just think of any, any relationship you have. It doesn't just have to be your marriage. This could be any friendship. When did it work out well for you where you took this person for granted? 
where you said, oh, well, we've said we care about one another. We've done nice things before in our life, so today I can take this person for granted. And we think that that's going to work out. It doesn't. How much more so with God? Are we tempted to presume on His goodness, to take Him for granted, to just think it doesn't matter how I live today, because He'll just take me back? That is not what we are called to. In fact, the opposite is true. We need to so value our relationship with God that we're willing to do difficult things with great love. That's what virtue is. Growing in this tendency to always choose the good out of love for God because He has first loved us. He has given you the grace today to follow Him. Don't presume that simply because He's given you that grace that you can just do whatever and it's going to be just fine. But the second sin against hope is despair. Where we're tempted to think that God doesn't actually love me. That I am so special that somehow His cross was not for me. That I am so special that somehow I've sinned so badly that God doesn't want me back. And we can see how both of these are sins against hope. Hope is that trust that God does want me back. Presumption is just like, oh well, He'll take me back, I can do whatever. Despair is, oh well, He, don't, he won't take me back, I can just do whatever. What's the point? But our Lord, He wants us now. Because we have been given everything. And I was reminded yesterday by something I saw online by a religious sister that was amazing. She said, if you doubt God's love for you, look at what he's done for you and look at a crucifix. Look at the cross. When our Lord sacrificed himself, when he laid down his life for us, when he spilled his precious blood for the salvation of the world to free us from sin and death, that was for you. And we can't hear that too many times. Because I need to be reminded of that again today. Because believe me, I'm tempted to presumption. I'm tempted to despair. I'm tempted to take Jesus for granted or to say, my sins are so great. What's the point of coming back to him? But our Lord Jesus laid down his life for us. And today we get to respond with all of our hearts. You know, I carry a crucifix on me on my rosary and I wear one on my brown scapular. And I got to tell you, sometimes I'm tempted just to see it as like an ornament, right? Like a piece of jewelry. It's kind of like my team's logo. I'm on Team Jesus. Here's my logo. But the cross is the deepest expression of love. And if you struggle with the fact that God wants you with him now and forever, we need to look at the cross. That's his love for you. But not only did this sister point out yesterday, I saw to look to the cross. She said, and if you want to know how much he loves you at this moment right now, you need to look at the Eucharist. Because that's Jesus Christ poured out for us. Body, blood, soul, and divinity. We so easily take our salvation for granted, though. We just assume that whether it's a few or whether it's many to be saved, that of course I'm just part of that group. Instead of answering the call like we saw in the letter to the Hebrews today, to be disciplined by God, to be trained. And that's hard. But I think one way to look at it is, is like in a classroom. So school started for many of us. And how many of us have had a teacher or an instructor say, you begin this class with an A. Day one, you have an A. 
Now, what you do day two and on is going to determine whether you keep your A. Last night, little Nash Lawrence, a little baby. I mean, he wasn't that little. He was a little bigger, but it was awesome. Little Nash, and he had too much hair. But little Nash Lawrence, I always see that, and I get jealous. It's my, my little wound. Little Nash Lawrence, though, it was awesome. His dad was so excited. Charlie, his dad shook my hand three times after the baptism. Like, he was so excited for the baptism of his child. So right here, the waters of baptism were poured over Nash Lawrence. And guess what he has now? Salvation. And he has the gift of parents and godparents, family and friends to remind him for the rest of his life and to teach him and to encourage him, to discipline him and to train him in the way of Jesus Christ, in the way of love and mercy, in the way of justice and peace. But we can't just wish that that happens. We have to make it happen by responding to God's grace, his goodness. The student who comes in and is told, you have an A, can't just say, okay, great, I'll see you at the end of the school year and expect to come back on the last day and still have that A. They've rejected all the opportunities to keep it, to cherish it. How much more our own salvation. When you were baptized, you were adopted by God the Father in such a way that when he sees you, he sees Jesus Christ. That is your life, that is your identity. That has transformed everything. When we commit mortal sin, which is deadly sin, as described in the letters of St. John, we put to death that new life in Jesus Christ. We reject salvation. And if we stay that way, it's only because we want to. Jesus wants us back. And thanks be to God, the sacrament of reconciliation is how we get restored again. That's the normal way. That we turn back and we say, Jesus, I no longer want to be apart from you. I want to be yours. Then show it. Do it. Respond to his grace. Our Lord loves you enough to respect your decisions. That's what free will is. You can accept him or you can reject him. But we need to be trained in a life of holiness, constantly accepting Jesus Christ. Do not look at the lives of the saints and think that was easy. Every saint has gone through the discipline of training through trial out of love of God. And St. John Paul II calls us all back to this. He said in his letter about the third millennium, written in the year 2000, about this new millennium, he said, since baptism is a true entry into the holiness of God through incorporation into Christ and the indwelling of his spirit, it would be a contradiction to settle for a life of mediocrity marked by a minimalist ethic and a shallow religiosity. To ask catechumens, those are the people preparing for baptism, which we have catechumens in our very own parish, those who are about to consider and have already been wrestling with the question, is Jesus Christ worth everything? Back to JP2, to ask catechumens, do you wish to receive baptism? Means at the same time to ask them, do you wish to become holy? It means to set before them the radical nature of the Sermon on the Mount, to be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. The time has come to repropose wholeheartedly to everyone this high standard of ordinary Christian living. The whole life of Christian community and of Christian families must lead in this direction. It is also clear, however, that the paths to holiness are personal and call for a genuine training in holiness. You're meant to go through the narrow gate. 
If anyone actually ends up going through that narrow gate, it's because you wanted it. And you didn't just want it at one moment. You wanted it every moment. And in any of those moments where you didn't want it, you repented of those, and then you chose to want it again. How much in our life do we live like that? We strive for sin sometimes more boldly than we do for virtue. We make sacrifices to turn away from God in some ridiculous ways. And if that's what we want, that's what we'll get. Separation from God now and forever. But that's not what God wants. God desires all of us to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. If you want what he wants, he's going to give it to you. Do not give up. You are ridiculously loved.